Welcome, one and all, to Discovery, a Star Trek podcast by Fantastic Geek, your official, unofficial Star Trek Discovery podcast. My name is Matt, and joining me, as always, is Pete. Hello, Pete. Hello, Matt. Hello, everybody. Here today, refreshing the old Discovery uh, podcast by Fantastic Geek feed to look at the publication, the novel, uh, The Enterprise War. Indeed, Pete, this is a novel that uh, I've been listening to on audiobook for the last couple of weeks. Actually finished it today, and uh, not a perfect Star Trek book. Pete, that belongs to one of the Peter David uh, Q books of old, but this uh, novel here by John Jackson Miller, a ton of fun, and I can't wait to dig on into it. So much was made when Discovery was announced, and then we saw that. I hesitate to say ill-fated panel. I, I don't think it was ill-fated, but much ballyhooed panel at uh, Destination uh, Star Trek in uh, New York City in uh, September of, what was that, 2016, right? Yes. Um, and uh, Kirsten Beyer overseeing the, uh, the multimedia aspect of this Trek universe as it exists through all access. And, uh, you know, they've, they've done some novels. Didn't you read one of the other ones, Matt? Uh, I have not read any of the other discovery novels. Okay. I thought you had checked out one of the other ones. Um, but obviously with Pike and Spock and number one showing up in season two and the persistent um, and and welcome rumors, I believe uh, that they may spin off eventually on their own and the coyness there. I can almost imagine, Matt, when we're at New York Comic Con in a week at the Star Trek panels, um, how that may be something that's either announced or toyed with or well we're not ready to talk about that just yet or whatnot um but the multimedia opportunities here you know not just the novels there's been some comics uh there's been aspects incorporated in uh star trek online um wisely as they should i mean this is a multimedia universe Indeed it is, Pete, and let's dig on in to the plot of the novel here, bring people up to speed. Uh, here goes. The Enterprise is in the Pergamum Nebula on a year of exploration. It finds out shortly into the mission of the Klingon War. Pike is reprimanded by Admirals Terrell and Cornwell for his attempts to return to join the war. Back inside the Nebula, they are poorly attacked by a boneheaded Lurian pirate ship. That's Morn's species, by the way. They are then attacked by a well-armed, armor-wearing Boundless. Uh, 30 Enterprise crew persons are taken by the Boundless and pressed into service. Lieutenant Spock and Lieutenant Connolly are among them. Uh, The Enterprise sustains damage and completes an emergency saucer separation, leaving the Boundless to conclude one or both parts of the ship are destroyed. The Boundless continue their fight against uh, the insectoid Rengru, uh, a war that has waged for hundreds of years. The Enterprise officers forced into armored battle suits uh, are fighting for the Boundless, and they soon learn that the Boundless are made up of a multitude of species. These include several core species native to the Nebula, as well as outsiders who have wandered into the Nebula and gotten caught. 
the Enterprise saucer ends up landing upside down on a small moon's methane sea. The engineering section uh, elsewhere affects repairs. Neither half knows if the other has survived. Spock ultimately escapes the Boundless and lands on another moon near the Enterprise. He gives them logistical advice for freeing the saucer section and is rescued close to death, but not before his icy moon is visited by visions of the Red Angel. Mm. Meanwhile, the engineering section captures a single member of the Rengru, which physically melds itself to number one. She's able to telepathically communicate with it in a slightly parasitic fashion. All told, number one shares with the Rengru Starfleet's peaceful intentions. The Enterprise gets put together with spit and bailing wire, and they broker a peace between the Rengru and the core species of the Boundless, for both Rengru and Boundless come from Kadavu, a common homeworld. Spock, however, is seriously unbalanced by his vision of the Red Angel. He and the now-ready-to-retire Dr. Boyce, remember him from the cage, mm-hmm. depart for the psychiatric facility on Starbase 5. The Enterprise starts to limp home and swaps out some staff. Goodbye, characters new to the novel. And will there ever be an engineer who loves the Enterprise as much as Glogin? <laughs> <laughs> However, with the last tentative repair completed, number one reports to Captain Pike, a signal has been received. No, seven signals to end the novel. Nice way to tip what ultimately happened in season two. And, you know, I can only imagine the Red Angel Incorporation was more of a, hey, we're having a guy write a novel of where the Enterprise was. We're going to do this Red Angel thing in season two. Just just make sure Spock sees one at one point. And then at the end, you know, we're going to add this as well. By and large, that's what the Red Angel stuff felt like when it was first. Like he had a dream about it as a child and then whatnot. I will mention this, Pete, and I had forgotten about this until I went down a quick hole on memory beta and memory alpha. And I'm sure this was planned. Don't get me wrong, but... I don't know which way you want to do it. The book, which chronologically happens first, or the show, which in the real world was made first. But how about this way? The moon Spock ends up on in the novel is this icy, barren place. That's what we see in the show. And I know that we had discussed while talking about the show, you know, do we ever get any backstory? What is this place that he's at? And that was just, it it appears that was just a launching ground for the novel and and i mean that in a positive way um you know obviously season two doesn't deal with him in a suit on the moon by himself but it was a pretty cool moment to realize that they had that kind of synergy yeah and um the the boundless which you had talked a little bit about with me off mic um from the moment i heard about it it sounded very evocative of the zindi from uh enterprise um and I like that they have a similar vibe, yet they're their own thing. There's probably very complicated reasons that they couldn't make it the Zindi anyway, apart from the fact that Enterprise had encountered them before the events of all this stuff going on. Um, but there was such a thirst. There remains a thirst for Pike's Enterprise. Love that Boyce gets, you know, some some mention here and that they deal with that was was kind of hoping that maybe we'd see his character on the enterprise at the very end of uh season two of discovery you know you get into the the uh sick bay and you know there's this 
doctor who's not McCoy, who we may recognize before from that uh, original pilot. Um, so it's nice that that gets in there as well. The idea of the saucer separating. OK, so we're retconning, obviously, next gen with uh, the original series and that version of the Enterprise uh, pre-refit. Um, so it sounds like a, a good way to spend a novel in, in this Star Trek Discovery drought. Yeah, in terms of the positives of the novel, it had really great character stuff with the Enterprise crew. They covered stuff with the very old characters, Pike, number one, Spock. Uh, they covered stuff well with the Discovery season two old characters. Non uh, is there, uh, of course, but Non is there. Uh, you get a great sense of the personality of that sympathetic, headstrong, bright-futured Connolly. And there's a line towards the end, you know, <laughs> he really wants to be more active and whatnot. Um, and the book even has, you know, new characters uh, like the book smart, ship dumb engineer, uh, chief of engineering, Glodgen, who I'm 99% sure gets a mention in uh, Discovery 201. Uh, I'll mention, too, there's a really nice teen Pike prologue involving a fatal accident in an abandoned mine on Earth. And that just helps hammer home Pike's dedication to his group slash crew. Yeah, it, it sounds like they're really faithful to what had done, been done before and obviously what the show laid down. Um, I think Nan's a great character and I love that she was able to go with Discovery into the future. Um, so somebody who's going to continue to find her place in the crew as the crew and the ship is now going to have to find themselves in the future. But, you know, there remains this mystery out there of, are we done with Pike's enterprise past? Of course, the, um, the short treks that we've seen snippets of at this point, or will it get its own series? I hope Matt, they don't base it just on book sales and book downloads of this particular novel. Well, assuming that they do have a Pike's Enterprise show, here's a couple of things from the novel that they don't need to return to. The novel spends way too much time with the Boundless. There's several chapters dedicated to their hunting the Lurian pirates, their battles against the Rengru, the challenges that the captured Enterprise crew were put through as Boundless soldiers. Uh, it really feels like filler in a novel that looks to fill out that year plus that the Enterprise was absent from the Klingon War, but that absence is best achieved in the upside-down saucer section where they're building a gravity well for a newly pregnant officer, you know, and things of that sort that's really kind of Starfleet stuff, not, you know, spending time with Cormigan of the Boundless to better understand her background. How does Pike attempt to return the Enterprise to the Klingon War leading to his... Uh, the trouble he gets into with the admirals. Um, much as submarines have this extremely low frequency uh, radio band in our world where they can get brief messages, but they can be, you know, six miles deep or whatnot. Uh, the Enterprise is capable of being in the nebula and getting these brief, uh, these brief messages, you know, things like Cornwall to Pike, Starbase One lost, war effort dire, do not return. So you have that happening occasionally, and when Pike first hears about the war, he actually breaks orders, exits the nebula, which is a bumpy 
multi-day thing. They can't go at warp. Uh, lots of damage to the ship. This is helping contribute to the, the state that the Enterprise is in uh, in the beginning of Discovery Season 2. But he actually edges out and has conversations with Terrell, who's you know, just saying, no, do as ordered. Things are not good. One ship will not make a difference at this point. Um, there's reference either indirectly or directly to Cornwell's notion that, you know, it's the best and brightest there. And if the worst happens, carry our message. We were here. We were the Federation. We were Starfleet, that sort of thing. I think that in the show, it read a little bit as, all right, this is what they've come up with because there was no enterprise in the war. So we're going to say you were far away and we told you not to come home. Um, and it plays just fine in the show. Yeah. In the novel, you kind of see the other side and go, oh, yeah, they kept trying to come back. They kept getting waved off and they had these other things to deal with. Yeah. And there were a lot of great moments in season two. But among them, I think the scene where Cornwell um, essentially admonishes Pike and then delivers this front-handed compliment that we kept the enterprise away because you're the best of us and we couldn't have the best of us uh, get wiped out. So you're welcome. And it was really, really well done. If Discovery has a hole to fill moving forward um, and, and hopefully they figure out a way to incorporate Mary Chifo as the great, 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 great granddaughter of her Klingon counterpart, the, uh, the, the chancellor. Um, I think it's Katrina Cornwell and, you know, the legacy that she created, albeit in a recurring role, not even a regular. Well, and some of the most fun things that the novel does are those little nods. And I know that at the end of the day, this is a story that needs to stand up on its own. It can't all be about, you know, travel the bouncing voice. When does he leave the ship and things of that sort. Um, but you know, it's fun. They do the saucer separation, which is something that I think has been in at least the novel, uh, some of the novel or comic stories, you know, for the constitution class era for a while, but you know, they do it. And then those in the uh, engineering section, they're in the cramped control room, barely a bridge. Oh, maybe one day starship designers will put in a battle bridge of some sort because <laughs> this is so difficult to do you know th things of that sort is really fun um similar with uh the notion in discovery 201 we see this enterprise clue that's very very close with each other i think of pike and Connolly kind of giving playful sass to each other um this novel demonstrates how they have that rapport and it's something that i buy even better having read the book ditto too i mean every single time Connolly would would try to be a better starfleet officer to try and get uh you know on the uh onto the planet for the science mission every single time he had vocal opposition to his boundless captors that he was shrewdly negotiating with them i'm saying this poor guy he's i know what's going to happen to him discovery 201 he takes one step too far and dies and it made me appreciate his loss even more. He's a jerk. The one episode we see him in, in Discovery. And if anything, it seems incongruous with the type of captain that Pike is on his time 
with Discovery and then what we witness when the Enterprise joins them towards the end of that season, that people just want to lay out for him and then illustrated in the sacrifice he makes with the time crystal, seeing his fate, still choosing to go towards it. And Connolly mansplaining um, Burnham and not taking advice doesn't seem like the type of team player that uh, Pike would have under his command. So it's it sounds like they're really trying to uh, forcefully retcon his uh, jerky nature. I would I would meet it halfway and say this: the if one counts the novel, and you know technically it's a it's not an alpha level, it's a beta level, and things of that sort, but. In our discussion here, counting the novel as the true story of what happened before what we saw in Discovery Season 2, this is a Connolly who is buoyed by having experienced months and months being a war prisoner, uh, somebody who never quite lost that fire to speak out against the wrongness, somebody who had to depend on himself and his smarts, and to a certain degree his arrogance to get through this incredibly tough experience and i think too this is a pike at least the pike in the novel who is so averse to losing people there's been there's the crisis um before going to talos 4 where, where he's lost 14 or so people there's the incredible experience in, at talos 4 now there's this he all but loses the ship only to find out that the you know the two halves can be put back together when they finally make contact. They don't lose a single person, which is probably the most unrealistic thing in the novel, but the novel delivers it. Like, who could believe it? Not a single person died in 300 pages. And it's it's all, to me, the Connolly that we see who dies, it's a believable extension of the Connolly in the novel, which, of course, it was created the other way around. But to me, it works. I'll just add one more thing, Pete. Probably the best moments in terms of synergy uh, is Spock's vision of the Red Angel itself. From his perspective and from the perspective of the reader, if you're going to be blind to Discovery Season 2, we know that he's seen the Red Angel in childhood, but when it appears to him uh, on this moon, is it a hallucination? Is it coming from a volcanic eruption? Uh, which is happening in front of him. Does the volcano cause this mental split? It's kind of wonderfully, frantically presented. And even knowing that it's not those things, the fact that the from Spock's eyes and from the eyes of the third-person narrator of the novel, this is out of nowhere. It just, it's it's a perfect way to link up with everything. I like that they made the decision to include it. And if you wanted to get more beyond where were they, and it's a way, let's be honest, too. Oh, you like Pike and Spock? They are on the second season of Star Trek Discovery, and there's this whole Red Angel mystery. You should probably check that out now that you've read the novel. Yeah, and I mean, that's at least how the audiobook, I assume the print as well, kind of, you know, there's the whole, there's the end, and there's the epilogue with Spock. You know, murmuring, you know, Earth, Vulcan, uh, Kronos, uh, Andoria, you know, all of that. Um, and then, you know, kind of after that, there's, you know, the story of the Red Angel continues and Discovery Season 2 and you know, all of that stuff. This is synergy that works. 
Uh, again, there were many times I was listening to it while driving where it's like, I don't want to spend more time on Troop Carrier Eloga. This is boring. I don't need to hear more about the battle suits, which can change size and have uh, governor packs that make sure people can't run. And that was a little too much. Let's keep Star Trek and our Star Trek novels. I don't need to have a deep, passionate understanding of the villain. Um, but when this novel cooks, it feels like an episode of Star Trek, whether it's Discovery, whether it's Classic Trek, whether it's whatever it might be. So I hope that our listeners here, again, in this drought of Discovery news until we get to see the uh, panel at New York Comic Con, has enjoyed your uh, analysis of it, Matt. Maybe check it out. Maybe choose not to. At least get the broad strokes here. But all of this made possible by our very special crew at Patreon.com. Yes, as we deal with these 21st century costs for bandwidth and storage and whatnot, so proud to be listener-supported and sustainable via those who go to patreon.com slash fantasticgeek, making sure our, our podcast saucer section and our podcast engineering section remain together as we get ready for future Star Trek adventures. We got Star Wars adventures. We got adventures of a more local realm, God Friend of Me, taking place in New York. Uh, got Marvel's Runaways. Pete, we're in all these universes, and we are able to be there because of our listeners. Uh, everybody who contributes gets access to exclusive podcast content, but all it takes is a dollar to get you through the door there, and then you are in the club. Uh, left off Matt's list there, but no less prominent, Watchmen podcast by Fantastic Geek. Something we'll be getting to see the pilot of at New York Comic Con next week. We'll bring you that. We'll bring you those Star Trek uh, panels, both Discovery and Picard. We're going to have Sir Patrick in the house on uh, uh, the Hulu Theater at Madison Square Garden. So uh, really, really anticipating bringing all that to you as the unofficial, official voice of the Star Trek universe where podcasts are concerned. Well, Pete super excited to be at those panels super excited to be talking new star trek once again particularly as i guess you know this experience i've had listening to the novel you know now i'm in the star trek drought again but pete we want to hear from our listeners about star trek novels about the upcoming star trek series is 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 coming to cbs all access how could people be in touch with you to talk star trek you can find me on Twitter at Peter, P-I-E-T-E-R-J-K-E-T-E-L-A-A-R, -E -E 10,668 followers. Can't be wrong. And while I'm personally on Twitter as Looking Back Lost, do be in touch with the podcast. Comment on FantasticGeek.com. Check us out on Twitter, Instagram, Gmail, where we are Fantastic Geek as well. But wait, Pete, there's more. Facebook.com slash Fantastic Geek with the P-H, all one word. Like it today. We will be back next weekend talking more Star Trek. But for now, Pete, I will say adios to all our listeners and give you the final word. Beam me up. <laughs>